And I forgot to turn my microphone on, so now it is on. Good to see everyone here this morning. I know we have a number of uh, guests with us. Uh, Carter is really behaving himself this morning because his family is here all the way from Canyon, Texas. And it was a blessing to meet them, and we're doing, doing our best with Carter, okay? I uh, know we love and appreciate Carter. He's, he's good. He's good. We have other guests with us, and we're certainly thankful for your presence as well. And anytime you have an opportunity to attend with us, uh, we want you to be here. And, and perhaps you're living right here in Paris and are looking for a church home. Uh, we, we think this is the place to be. And give us an opportunity to convince you of that as well. And stick around for a few minutes and, and give us an opportunity to uh, introduce ourselves and get to know you a little better. A couple of things I'd like to emphasize this morning before we uh, jump into our, our sermon today. Uh, first of all, hygiene for Haiti. That drive continues. And if you'll look in your bulletin, when this went to print, we had 85 baggies that had been brought and, and placed on the uh, display. I have an update of that number. It is now up to 139, and even that, I think, is, is not the complete total because I've seen people bring more in today. Our goal is 1,000, 1,000 of these uh, little baggies with hygienic items uh, to take. Our group will be taking to, to Haiti in uh, January, so please, if you haven't done that, uh, get your bulletin, look at the items. Uh, a baggie can be put together uh, very uh, inexpensively. Uh, so please do that and continue to bring those, and we'll try to keep uh, the date or, or the uh, amount updated uh, as we approach the end of the month. And if you have any questions, please see uh, Kristen uh, Mays. The other announcement to, to kind of emphasize this morning, it's a, um, a life group Sunday, first Sunday of the month, and so want to encourage uh, everyone to please participate in your life group if they are uh, meeting today. And if, if you're a guest, ask one of us about a life group. We would love to have you attend uh, one of our life groups. This very special ministry uh, meets on the first and third Sunday evenings, uh, typically. Uh, some, other, some of the groups meet at noon, and uh, you can see me or, or really just about anyone here. And if you're a member of the of Lamar Avenue, not a part of a life group. Uh, jump into one of those groups and enjoy uh, that time of, of fellowship. Lori and I are kind of visiting uh, through all of the groups. And wouldn't you know, I would accept the invitation earlier last week to be a part of James Paul's group today. On the Sunday after his team from Austin beat my team yesterday. Like James Paul wasn't going to say anything about that at, at group today. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, as Jay Cannon and I were driving back into Paris yesterday afternoon having attended the game, the Lord put this beautiful rainbow up in the sky just to let us know everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. But anyway, so much for football. So much for football. 
If you have a New Testament, please be turning uh, to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at another text that has to do with discipleship uh, this morning. Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 57 through 62. And while you're turning uh, to that text, I want to begin this morning by, by sharing a quote uh, from Dallas Willard and his book, The Great Omission. The last command Jesus gave the church before he ascended to heaven was the Great Commission, the call for Christians to make disciples of all the nations. But Christians have responded by making Christians not disciples. This has been the church's great omission. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. But the point is not merely verbal. What is more important is that the kind of life we see in the earliest church is that of a special type of person. All of the assurances and benefits offered to humankind in the gospel evidently presuppose such a life and do not make realistic sense apart from it. We cannot be Christians without being disciples. And we cannot call ourselves Christians without applying this understanding of life in the kingdom of God to every aspect of life on earth. Have you decided to be a disciple in New Testament terms? This is an intentional decision, not something you just drift into. Jesus seems to emphasize this point that discipleship is an intentional decision when he encounters three men in Luke chapter 9 that we might refer to as would-be disciples or as Kenneth Bailey writes in his book Through Peasant Eyes, The Fox, the Funeral, and the Furrow. Well, let's read now the text from Luke chapter 9 and discuss this morning these three men who, again, we might classify as, as would-be disciples and see what we might learn about discipleship from this particular text. Beginning again in verse 57 of Luke 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, before those of you who like to fill in blanks, before we do that, 
Let's go back and look at the text a little more uh, in depth and, and kind of understand what is going on with these three would-be disciples and the response that Jesus made uh, to each uh, man. First of all, notice in verses 57 and 58, the first man seems to kind of be drawn in to the community of disciples. No one seems to recruit him. In other words, Jesus, as we've seen in other texts throughout this series, Jesus invites people into the fellowship or into the community. Jesus, we have noticed, typically extends the call. But this man, for, for whatever reason, uh, kind of volunteers, we might say, on his own. But his understanding of discipleship seems to be shallow. There, there does not seem to be any serious reflection on what it means to follow a suffering, rejected Savior. That's the implication of Jesus' response to this first would-be disciple. Let's look at the second man in verses 59 and 60. Jesus does extend his call to this next man, this, but this man has a precondition. He says, first, let me go and bury my father. Now, you can go to any number of commentaries that discuss this particular uh, verse, and you'll see all kinds of suggestions as to what might be going on here with this man's precondition, the way he seems to qualify his discipleship. I believe it's best understood as an idiom referring to taking care of your parents until they die. A, a very good thing to do, a very important cultural thing to do. But what he is saying in reality, he is postponing following Jesus well into the future, a future that is not guaranteed. And so Jesus responds with let the dairy... Uh, the dead bury their own dead, in which he, he seems to suggest let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Right? Don't delay your decision to follow Jesus. Right? When the time comes to take care of your parents, then you can take care of them. Right? And so again, Jesus is challenging um, perhaps a, a very superficial or shallow kind of understanding of what it means to be a disciple. Let's look at the third would-be disciple in verses 61 and 62. This final man, like the first, also, I believe somewhat brazenly, uh, suggests, I will follow you. And like the second man, he too has a precondition, or something to qualify his own following uh, Jesus or discipleship. To say goodbye, again, is another idiom, which means to take leave or to separate from one's family. In other words, this man was going to go back to his family and ask permission to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, I must be a higher authority. 
And so he has this final uh, metaphor to illustrate the undivided attention that it takes to follow him and to be a true disciple of Jesus. Well, let's now look at uh, how we might apply this text uh, to our own lives. And first of all, these three would-be disciples right, suggest three kinds of ways we might respond to who Jesus is. First of all, we might respond in kind of an impulsive way. That, that appears to maybe be the case with all three of these men. Notice this story or these encounters begin with Jesus just kind of walking along the way. And, and we know that Jesus has begun in his public ministry by this point to attract quite a crowd. He already has a number of disciples. He already has a number of followers. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, from, the, uh, from one text we, we saw, we also noted how, how the crowds, there always seems to be a crowd in the periphery. There, there seems to be a little interest. You know, Jesus attracted some attention through his teaching and through his miracle workings. And, and so it, these guys perhaps were just thinking, hey, this seems to be the popular thing to do right now. You know, and, and just kind of impulsively say, hey, I want to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. All right? So there might be this impulsive kind of response to who Jesus is. You know, if you go back to my youth ministry days, we, we would encounter this occasionally at church camp. Someone would respond and be baptized and... Uh, Everybody else would respond and, and be baptized. And so we, we were very careful to set each young person down and to be sure they were uh, responding through their own faith and not just because their best friend had. Okay? This impulsive kind of response. A second one is what we might refer to as an interrupted response to Jesus where the person thinks... Okay, I've become convinced on a certain level, but there's some other things that needs to take precedent in my life. Right? Those were the two final would-be disciples. Burying the dead or saying goodbye to family. Right? Looking, looking to a higher authority that Jesus cannot take second place in any of our lives, all right? And so we, we interrupt it for a time being, right? We put it, put it off into the future, and at some point when circumstances are better for us, then we will uh, respond. Or maybe just this, this indecision. We're, we're indecisive. We, we like what we hear... Uh, we, we, we understand a little bit of what is involved in following Jesus, but we can't quite make the decision. Right? And so maybe we see a little bit of, of all three of these in these three uh, disciples, or would-be disciples, which then might suggest three levels of, of commitment that we might see uh, from each of these would-be disciples. And... One thing that we have, have noticed 
when, when we attach ourselves to Jesus, right, he, he demands a level of commitment, right? Just as we experience various levels of, of commitment in other aspects of our lives, Jesus also demands a level of commitment. These, these three, again, maybe illustrate uh, a superficial level of commitment. One that, that is not that deep. One that is, that is kind of, of shallow, we might say. A second type, uh, again, a delayed type of commitment. All right? Again, like what we hear, like what we see, not, just not ready at this point. We're going we're to put it off a little bit, or we qualify it somehow. All right? Okay, Jesus, I'll follow you if you'll do this, or if you'll do that. And, and when, I, when, I, when I experience that and I see that, then I'll be ready to follow. All right? This past Thursday night, uh, a few of us gathered uh, in a Bible study, and we, we discussed this particular text. And uh, Clay Frittle made the point after, after we had studied, you know, he said these three guys uh, seem to kind of illustrate what Jesus was teaching back in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. And I thought, ooh, Clay, I'm, that, that's good. And I'm even giving him credit this morning. You know, I mean, that's good stuff. Remember that parable, all right? Jesus tells the story of the sower who goes out and he throws seed along the way. Uh, some seed just fall on the path, are immediately eaten by the birds. Some fall in shallow soil and they take root for a little bit. Some fall among the thorny bushes and are eventually choked out, all right? And one of the many lessons that we might learn from that particular parable, other than, you know, we have the responsibility uh, to sow, uh, the types of, of hearts that the seed uh, seeks to germinate in. And again, a level of commitment or a level of understanding uh, when we receive the Word of God and we seek to answer uh, the call that Jesus uh, has given to us. So, finally... What does it mean to be a willing disciple? Not, not just a, 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 a would-be disciple, but one who is, is willing to truly follow Jesus, to be a disciple, a follower in New Testament terms. Three things uh, must be involved. Number one, we must count the cost. Right? Must count the cost. Uh, there are... Stories throughout the Gospels where Jesus makes this point. We see it illustrated in parables. We, we see it illustrated in direct responses that he made uh, to a variety of men and women uh, that he encountered in his uh, public ministry. So, so what does it mean to count the cost? Well, there's some preparation involved. There's some understanding involved. Uh, and, and because of that understanding, accepting some things, accepting some truths, all right, uh, that will be a part of answering that call. 
the first would-be disciple, the response that Jesus gives to him. All right? About, you know, foxes have dens uh, to reside in and birds have roost or nest uh, to, to live in. But the Son of Man, none. None whatsoever. And he's illustrating, all right, you just don't know where following Jesus may take you. And it's, it's previously to this text uh, where Luke tells us at this point in his public ministry, Jesus had determined to set his eyes on Jerusalem. Jesus knew what awaited him. And Jesus wants his followers to understand the same type of suffering, the same type of rejection may be included in your own discipleship. And so the importance of counting the cost and not making this initial decision in a very superficial or shallow kind of way, and then when the going gets tough, bailing, as we might say. Jay and I really wanted to bail at the beginning of that fourth quarter yesterday. But we didn't. We followed through. Now, we lost, but we, we stuck it out, didn't we, Jay? I mean, we're true fans. you got to be a true disciple, you know, of, of Jesus. Through the best of times, the worst of times. Number two, there is an understanding that we participate in and proclaim the kingdom of God. Right. Go back to the, to the second would-be disciple. Right. And, you know, he says, first let me go and bury my father. And then Jesus uh, has almost this, this riddle, let the, dairy, uh, the dead bury their own dead. But you go, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Right. It's, it's interesting to me, and this, this point was, was also made... Uh, Thursday night in our, in our discussion of this text. You know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't tell this, this man to, you know, continue to, to attach yourself to me in the sense of just sticking with me and learning more. He says, no, you go. You go. And that takes us back to the very first lesson in this series uh, as we seek to connect God through the Great Commission and, and making disciples Remember what Jesus says in the Great Commission. We go, right? And we proclaim God's rule and the gospel of Jesus. And, and we seek to convince people through what we say and how we live of the, the, the truth of living as a citizen in, in God's kingdom and, and participating in that and serving in that as Jesus tells uh, the third would be disciple. And then finally, and I think this is really the biggest, the biggest point of, of this text, understand the kingdom and following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus takes precedent over all other loyalties. All others. Our job, our hobby, our favorite football team, and, and on and on and on. Right. Jesus is first place or he has no place in our lives. 
these three encounters are left open-ended. In other words, we don't know what decision each of these three men made. Did, did they follow or not? Did they keep both hands to the plow or did they let go? But also notice, Jesus really doesn't reject any of these three. He simply emphasizes the faithfulness and the loyalty required in following him. I think as we study this text, we must resist the temptation to denigrate the motives of these three and perhaps trivialize the demands of Jesus. They are intentionally hard for their value to emphasize the extent of commitment required by Jesus. The radical call of Jesus lies in his claim to priority over the best, not the worst, of human relationships and endeavors. And so I'll return to the words of Dallas Willard. Have you decided to be a disciple in New Testament terms? This is an intentional decision, not something you just drift into. Have you decided to be a disciple in New Testament terms? Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to go and proclaim? Are you willing to make Jesus first in your life? Have you made that intentional decision about Jesus this morning? If you need to make that decision, we're here to encourage you. We're here to support you. And we ask you to come while we stand and sing.